Maureen of Chicago. I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we are Burdened with, with Glorious Podcast. Podcast. So welcome back to the show where we discuss about our favorite trickster, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. So you might notice that, um, for once, our audio quality is completely on par, and that's because this is a very special episode of Burden by Glorious podcast. Yes, it is. Because Maureen is actually here in New York City, so we are using my mic on her computer, and she's going to edit this when she gets back to Chicago. And it will never sound better than this. <laughs> and yeah, well, because normally what it is, is I, is we do a Skype call or a is it Skype? Or? Yeah, it's yeah. Skype. Okay, I can't remember. <laughs> Normally we do a Skype call, and I'm actually speaking over the same microphone that we're using for this, but because she's technically recording a call, that's why I always sound a little bit like I'm standing behind a plate glass window. But right now we're, we're hanging out, we're in my living room, and it's actually almost 1 a.m. where we're recording this right now on a Saturday night. And so that's also why we kind of have our NPR voices going on this episode, because my roommate is asleep in the next room. <laughs> um, so, a lot to talk about this, this week. Um, although, I, I feel like, you know what, like, screw variants, screw confirmation of something that fandom has been wanting to see for a long time. I can't stop thinking about that Twitter ad that they keep showing that has a bunch of, I mean, it also has Sam Wilson in it and, 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 and Wanda's toward the end. Yeah. And it kind of makes me wonder like, when did they film this thing for one thing? <laughs> but, but they have this, this commercial that's been going on on Twitter that, that, that you know, it, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to say this other than it has Loki driving a Hyundai's SUV. He, he it, it it seems to start at the same point that this show does except he somehow just walks out of Stark Tower and steals somebody's SUV <laughs> I and you know what I I I'm, I've I don't know if this is going to play into the show or not but I'm sorry folks I can't stop thinking about the fact that this would seem to suggest that there is an entire other variant timeline in this show. And the implication that like five minutes after the commercial ends, he's just going to get zapped from existence. Which, you know, I mean, but at the same time, they also seem to be implying that this must be happening in Westview, except somehow the SUV still shows up in 50s Westview. Like, I, I don't know how to question this, but... I just, I can't stop thinking about the implications of, there, there is a timeline where the variant, where the, where the variation is literally just, but in this one, he drives an SUV. I he has a Hyundai. I wouldn't think too hard about it because I highly doubt we have like an image of like Don Draper types, like thoroughly studying the Marvel Cinematic Universe techniques of like, okay, so how does this directly tie into this next movie? I, I, I'm sorry. No, I just, I can't. Now that you said this, and I swear we can get on topic after this, but you know, as soon as you, you I mean, for one thing, I'm thinking of Gentleman Surfs Up. <laughs> Which, which is a reference to an episode of C-Lab 21 we, 2021 we watched the other day. I don't need to explain the whole thing. The episode's called All That Jazz. It's on HBO Max. Look it up. We've now plugged two different streaming services. My God. But the other thing that I always think of is 
this one post that was talking about the creation of Banksy's uh, massive art installation, Dismaland, which is basically just like, what if it, it, Disneyland, but everything sucks? And, and it was something like, but it referred to the conception of this as like, you know, you know, exterior Banksy HQ. And it actually has him talking to his boss, who is referred to as Boskski. And I can't remember exactly what it leads to. I just know that it has something involving him like pitching either Dismaland or the, the bumper car Grim Reaper. And the boss just goes, you've still got it, you fuck mother. <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking right now is, is that, you know, you've got your room full of Don Draper types and, and some guy is like, okay, okay, how about this? How about this? Loki steals a Hyundai. You've got it, you fuck mother. <laughs> Gentlemen, surfs up. <laughs> but but more more importantly, more importantly... This episode finally went ahead and confirmed what everybody has wanted confirmed for years, which is... Jesus Crunchberry Christ, Loki's bisexual. And boy, howdy, was there so much bi-lighting this episode. I mean, it was just gorgeous cinematography of pinks, violets, and blues. It's it's out there looking like a vampire dream ballet. <laughs> <laughs> to to learn more, listen to A Good Nightmare Comes So Rarely, The Rise and Fall of Dance of the Vampires, when that actually starts streaming. Good segue plug. Hey. <laughs> you know, if Maureen seems a little bit more unhinged than usual tonight, <laughs> it's it's because we actually like we went out to Seawolf Bushwick. We had a great time. They had great lobster rolls, and Maureen had a Long Island iced tea. I don't drink. I have no excuse. But but you know, if you saw this episode, you saw Loki get drunk on the train to the Ark, and that's also kind of where Maureen is to the point where it wouldn't surprise me if she started singing in Norwegian. Well, I just I've always related to Loki in the MCU, but especially this episode, he wasn't just bisexual. He was the disaster drunk by. <laughs> Uh, but I just loved that he was singing in Norwegian because when I first heard it, I thought, oh my god, I recognize some roots. Like, I wonder if it's in Swedish. But apparently uh, it's Norwegian, which is a close enough language uh, difference. But yeah, it's I love uh, how he was basically singing about, like, uh, yeah, in stormy black mountains, I wander alone. Over glaciers, I make my way. In the apple orchard stands the maiden fair who sings, When Will You Come Home? And I can't help but wonder if the lyrics will have any deeper meaning as the show goes on. Or like, if Sylvie's supposed to be the maiden, or like, what's exactly supposed to be meant by When Will You Come Home? Is that supposed to be more subliminal for us to find out? The Sylvie situation is really thick. So for one thing, um, I mean, for one thing, I, unless you're a handful of my friends who listen to this out of the kindness of their hearts, thank you, friends who listen to this without watching the Loki show. You must be so confused right now. Yeah, I, you, you really are out there tuning in to us, spending an hour and a half at a time talking about Loki Presents the Loki Show starring Loki. <laughs> And you don't even know what we're talking about. So, you know what? Shout out to you guys. Thank you, Gibson. Taking one for the team. <laughs> but 
anyway, as, as anybody but those people would, would be aware of at this point, um, we've had some interesting, we've had some interesting stuff come up about the variant this week. Um, we know that if Loki was ever her name at all, she now goes by Sylvie and, um, you know, originally we were going to have some, uh, some speculation about that. And however, uh, since this has happened, considering we're recording this on a Saturday night and this episode premiered on Wednesday, we have already had um, some preview stuff talking because I guess we get to find out more about Sylvie in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And we already have seen an image of her as a child. And they they cast a little girl to play her as a child. And um, I know that there were a lot of people in the fandom that were hoping that it would kind of be confirmed that maybe she was, you know, a trans feminine Loki. And I know that that could technically be true, showing her as a child as well. You know, trans kids do exist. However, at the same time, I have to say, and again, if this is, if this bothers anybody, please let us know. I have to say, I do think that it's probably a good idea considering that the actors involved are all, as far as we know, cis, that they have just kind of decided, okay, if she is indeed just a Loki variant, which we will discuss further, it's probably a good idea that they did kind of just decide that she was a a Loki variant that was at the very least, uh, you know, assigned female at birth. I I don't know if they're still going for the gender fluidity thing or not. Mm -hmm. On, uh, on our Loki's file, uh, they did mark his sex as fluid, but you know, gender and sex are two different things. And, for all we know, that might have been an Easter egg about the whole conception of Sleipnir story. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is not an attempt at like shutting down anybody's hopes about this. It's it's kind of just trying to have a frank discussion about what they seem to be giving us here. And furthermore, you know, again, we don't want to give Marvel too much credit if they're not really going all the way on some of this stuff. On the other hand, Loki's bye, bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, behave. Ah, uh, so this episode was really interesting because for the first time, Loki being paired with Sylvie, he's with a character who, if not his equal, is the closest thing to it. But despite that dynamic they have going on, there was really an emphasis for this episode that despite... supposedly being a Loki variant. Sylvie just has a very different way of looking at the world and defending herself and him because she prefers physical violence over manipulation. But it was on the second uh, rewatch that I noticed that given that she has the ability to like do a Jedi mind trick on people, she's really never had to rely on the verbal trickery that Loki employs so well. When they talk about their respective pasts, there are a couple of things that really stand out. Like, it, it's not, they don't draw a lot of attention to it, but for one thing, they do kind of, ha- you know, you know, Sylvie does bring up the fact that, uh, that Loki is a prince in a way of pointing it out, almost as though she's, you know, even when she brings up the, well, there must have been would-be princesses, 
that would seem to imply that she believes that he was in a situation where there were a lot of people vying for him because of his status in a way that suggests that she probably did not share that status. We still don't really know much about where Sylvie came from. It looks like that's going to be what we find out in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. So you think that now that we find out who Sylvie is and what she looks like in this episode, that there'll be that there would be much more of an ap- emphasis on finding out who she is. But really, the whole point of this episode was finding out who Loki is. And the more Loki tries to get to know her, it's more of like he gets to know himself. And yet, ironically, despite the fact that they are at least theoretically supposed to be variations on the same person, more on that in a moment, they really just kind of keep throwing things in there to show that like they really are not you know even if they were at some point on baseline you know which may in fact be one of the points that the show is trying to go for as just a general as like almost like a moral i I don't i hesitate to call it a moral but like i think yeah it's kind of like uh looking at when you think about the idea of clones well, yes, you can clone someone's body, but it would be impossible for a clone of yourself to have the exact same formative experiences as you, and thus they couldn't possibly have the exact same outlook or philosophies that you would. And then you factor in that these two are apparently very physically distinct from one another. They have at least grown up as different genders. And you know, again, she seems to suggest that they also grew up under very different social circumstances. She doesn't remember her mother, and it's actually left kind of unclear if the mother that she doesn't remember is Frigga or not. Mm -hmm. She knew she was adopted, which also, the fact that she's so blunt about it, but doesn't seem to put it in, like, an Asgardian context seems very telling. Yes, and it also really begs the question, does Sylvie have a natural frost giant form? That's also that's also an excellent point. And even though it did become a little bit more obvious in this episode that she's not quite as blonde as she was initially taken for when we only saw her in you know the lighting of the rocks cart store, at the same time, her natural hair color is still not as dark as Loki's is. There is there are a lot of differences going on here. And then you factor in that, you know, her breastplate, even though her whole costume is very clearly based on God of Stories, Loki from the comics, her breastplate is very clearly a Minuteman breastplate that just happens to have been modified to look somewhat Loki-ish. I mean, on rewatch, I actually noticed that what looks like the inset gold band on a lot of his costumes in hers actually looks like it was carved out and painted in. Mm -hmm. Or filled with some kind of like, like it looks almost drawn on it. Yeah, to the point where I kind of actually wonder if that's if it's even supposed to actually if to her it even means the same thing as the gold band, or if it just happens to coincidentally look like that for us to make the connection in our heads. Because mm-hmm. you know, again, it's it's a Minuteman breastplate, and she does not have his elaborate pants that he tends to have. He tends to have very elaborate tactical pants. But she does have circular details that you find very interesting and compelling evidence. Oh, yeah. She does have a lot of like a ring detail that shows up in a lot, like a motif. 
And that, incidentally, is something that is normally associated with the comics version of the Enchantress. She shares her name with one of them, with Sylvie Lushton, who, just to refresh you, was an artificial Asgardian that Loki created basically because he was bored. He just thought it would be really funny to see if there was, if, you know, what would happen if he made a mortal girl who thought she was Asgardian. What TV tropes refers to as doing it for the evils. Yeah, and again, just to clarify, I know that this was explained when Loki was physically Lady Loki, but as we discussed in the last episode, this is a very complicated situation, and that particular iteration of Loki was made out very clearly to be a horrible cis man who was hanging out in Sif's body basically just to piss Thor off. So there was, uh, speaking of TV tropes, there was a wham line in this one of uh, Loki finding out that the TVA workers pretty much confirmed a theory we had in the last episode that they were not created entirely by the TVA, but rather they were just ordinary humans who were variants and just completely brainwashed into forgetting that. Yeah, and furthermore, this is something that Sylvie just straight up knows. that, Like, she's just been... You know, the thing is, is that, again, which kind of brings us back to... I mean, for one thing, that's, you know, shocking. And also, it kind of also raised... You know what I just realized? What? Um, the, so the hunter that she, whose brain she got into and whose memories she messed with, C20, right? Yes. I was going to say C20. I, when they're all named just numerals and numbers, mm-hmm. it's uh, numerals and letters, it's hard for me to remember their names sometimes. Right. Which might be kind of the point, <laughs> considering that they're not, you know, only the agents seem to have memorable names. Although, now that I think about it, you know, I'm wondering about the agents versus the Minutemen, because come to think of it, the Minutemen seem to be a lot more disposable. Yes, I wonder where that is. And if maybe the agents are not variants. Because hmm. she said their soldiers oh. are very. But in any case, she mentions C-20. I, the back, you know, she mentions that C20 loved margaritas, and the memory that she sort of fabricates for her centers around hanging out in a in a restaurant drinking margaritas. She also says that she was, uh, that she was that that was something that C20 liked to do, centuries ago, which means that Sylvie comes from very far in the future. Oh, that is a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, so, which, again, brings me back to really wondering. I know that we're going to see Sylvie as a child. I still kind of wonder about the kid Loki situation with her. Mm. But you know what? This is bringing me back to my whole Richard E. Grant is playing older Loki theory. Yeah, and that, cause I, it's it, very, it's, I feel like it's getting increasingly plausible that uh, for the last three episodes of this series... The big bad. There's definitely a big bad in this series that has yet to be revealed to us, and I feel like said big bad will be future Loki because I really don't see how it could be anyone other than that. Yeah, unless it's some kind of like straight up dueling villains situation with whatever the hell is going on with the timekeepers. I mean, again, one of them does look like Kang. 
True. And yes, it would make sense if uh, there was some lead up with him, considering that he's going to be the uh, main villain of the next Ant-Man film. Well, and I feel like there's there have been occasional situations in the comics, like I, where you know Kang gets defeated and he goes back and he starts all over again. I mean, he was origin when he was originally introduced as a Fantastic Four villain. I think he actually showed up as a Pharaoh referred to as Ramatud. And then it turned out that he just kind of, he, you know, I, I think the nearest DC analog is Vandal Savage, except Vandal Savage is a smart caveman who just lives forever and keeps messing around and conquering <laughs> things. Whereas Kang just like keeps hopping around in history and, you know, screwing people over. Mm-hmm. So I read one theory uh, on Reddit, please forgive me, <laughs> that stated that uh, when Sylvie explains how her powers work, it involves like, getting to people's heads. But I found it interesting how like she was awoken up by Loki sinning, but we never really saw her like actually sleep. So it stands to realize, uh, like, how do we know that Loki or someone else, for that matter, didn't get into her head while she slept? true that's that is a really good point um yeah especially because you know even though we saw loki totally normally falling asleep just from like working too hard a couple of episodes ago um we do know from avengers that he is probably too good at staying awake for his own good i mean (laughs) you know it kind of goes along with the seven day coke bender (laughs) but um which, incidentally, there is a moment in this episode that makes it very clear that he's he really has come back to Earth after, you know, day eight of that. Um, because, you know, same guy who, from his perspective, probably roughly a month ago, <laughs> had absolutely no, tro- no problem, you know, just, you know, completely, you know, wrecking the shit out of Midtown Manhattan is now looking at an impending apocalypse and just like standing there and just and just saying in horror we can't let all these people die yeah growth (laughs) well growth and also probably actually the strongest confirmation that they've ever given us of the external confirmation that he was not he was not in his right mind in oh, multiple no. well, but also the fact that a lot of what you saw of him in Avengers 2012 was quite literally the result of um, Thanos and his little intergalactic Brady Bunch doing a number on him well yeah if you watch deleted scenes of the Avengers it's quite obvious that Loki was not only extremely coerced by the uh, Chitauri and Thanos but they basically like could see his every move and so really he never had a moment's privacy throughout the entire movie but i think it was actually like externally it was i think it was it wasn't just coercion i'm pretty sure it was externally confirmed that which i guess they did already suggest in the movie considering that the um the scepter clearly isn't good for anybody to be around for an extended period of time but if I remember correctly, they did actually end up having to like come out and confirm and just be like and mm-hmm. be like, no, that wasn't entirely him. Yeah, he was he clearly was... under the influence. Yeah, and you know, and I, in, in retrospect, I do think they actually did the brighter eyes for the the 
control thing on him. It's just really hard to tell because his eyes are fairly bright blue to begin with. And they might, I kind of, like, I remember watching it. I assume that they just looked like that because they were also super bruised, like he mm. hadn't been sleeping. And, you know, now here we are. He's He's been clean for a month, folks. <laughs> He's he's been clean for a month and he's he's learned how to curl sprunch instead of, you know, just just you know, slicking everything directly back. Oh, you know, you you haven't seen it, but but like unfortunately, I kept there were a couple of moments where I just like kept cringing in this episode because I swear to god there were points where I was like, "Oh Jesus Christ, my hair does that now." <laughs> Oh, yeah. Loki's hair definitely reminds me of my hair if it goes, like, too many days without being washed. (laughs) So, I've seen a lot of complaints on the internet of people saying, well, like, nothing happened this episode, or it was, like, a glorified bottle episode. And it's like, okay, maybe if this were, like, its own movie, I could understand that frustration, but it's clearly the halfway point of a TV show, and it's, like all bottle episodes it's yes the plot seems to come to a halt but the whole point is to like reveal character and really like explore relations between people and i think it definitely succeeded here oh yeah yeah and you know it it does it does and i i bet this was the point honestly it really does hammer in that um and wow, that wasn't even a pun. That wasn't even intended oh as a pun, God. even if it might actually be one. Um, it really does emphasize, actually very economically, I think, by the way, it really points out that, you know, Loki and Sylvie are not the same person. Like, they, they're not... To bring up a, another MCU <laughs> comparison, it's almost like the Ship of Theseus paradox. Where does Loki end and Sylvie begin? Well, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't even think it comes off like that. Because, I mean, if we're going to be completely blunt here, even their reasons for both of them being extraordinarily wary and distrustful, they come from different places. You know, th- there's every indication that Sylvie has spent her entire life running and that she's extraordinarily battle-hardened and most of what we see of her and her and including her distrust probably does not have anything to do with the fact that she is a variant of this other guy whereas with Loki that's kind of just how he is like yeah. you know he he just he just doesn't trust people and that's probably because other people don't tend to trust him Whereas she doesn't trust people because she's probably been surrounded by people genuinely trying to hurt her her entire life. Yeah, it's implied that she's never had like a moment's peace in her whole life. And I would definitely want to see like, well, what's the start of that? Was there ever like, was there ever a chance for this poor girl? Well, yeah, that's the other, that's the other thing that's really notable about this is that as much as Loki accuses her of lacking vision, the vision that he accuses her of lacking is some great path to her own power stakes when she doesn't actually seem to want that she just seems she just wants to be left alone you know she said you know she implies that she has a boyfriend waiting for her Mm -hmm. and you know she just you know loki can't possibly comprehend he can't comprehend why she would want to create a massive power vacuum that she doesn't want to do anything with once it's been established but it's because 
she's not in it for that as far as we can tell she just wants to see this place burn and then she wants to walk away from it and what's interesting is uh, sylvie seems to like i don't think sylvie thinks that she doesn't know what loki wants i'm pretty sure she asks him like do you even know what he wants which is a question he's been getting asked a lot in this series yeah yeah and it's just again it's just it's very very noticeable that you know you would think that that lust for power even if his is incredibly unfocused and seems to kind of you know he seems to kind of use that to fill you know a hole in himself the same way that you know some people eat their feelings the fact is is that as far as we can tell she completely lacks that Yes, yes, but based on what we know, she doesn't come across at all as someone who has, like, grand ambitions. Yeah, she wants to be left alone, is the impression yeah. I get. She wants to be left alone. She wants to be able to calm down. She, you know, she mentions that she actually does have hedonistic impulses, but she doesn't get to indulge them. She wants freedom. Which, you know, I know that that's technically what he wants, but if anything, you know, as ruthless as she's had to be in a weird way she still seems to have a much better adjusted sense of what she wants Mm -hmm. if you think about it and for that matter you know considering the heavy implications that she has never known a moment of peace in her life and her life is presumably about a thousand years long if you assume that they're roughly the same age you know there's there's the fact that no matter how vicious her methods have had to be her motivation is coming from a much more understandable place than his is or or like or his motivation is understandable i guess you could Mm -hmm. say but how she what she actually wants out of it is ultimately a lot more sympathetic yeah hold on so another complaint uh that i've read is people seem to think that uh loki has just not been very good this series at uh, hiding his emotions, he's much more uh, he's much more bad poker face, uh, having his true intentions be on his sleeves. And I would argue that, although that kind of makes sense, because as soon as he walked to the TVA and saw its true power, he knew there was really like no point in like trying to like front in front of them. And I've also realized that. Due to the extremely unique circumstances he's found himself in, especially these past few episodes, like, I think the implication is this personality that we see of him, this is supposed to have been, like, Loki the majority of his life before the events of 2011 Thor. The fact is, is that you really get the impression that he was, you know, he... (laughs) You kind of get the impression that he was probably the no fun of the group a lot of the time, so much as he could even be considered part of the group. It's very clearly one of those situations where you have you have Thor and you have Thor's friends and you have Thor's brother that insists on hanging out and Thor's like, oh, hey, my brother's here and his friends are like, oh, great. Like, I mean, that's (laughs) that's very clearly the situation. So. You know, I do think that we're supposed to get, if anything, that we're actually kind of, I think, inching toward like the optimal version of his personality, which is, um, you know, that's that's certainly a choice, which I don't even mean that negatively. It's just it kind of hit me all of a sudden that it's like, man, we we literally we literally saw this guy die to save his brother. And I realized that that 
we still weren't actually seeing him at his full potential. <laughs> yeah. Or as Megan put it, in this episode, it really brought us front and center with uh, there are pretty much multiple people in the MCU that Loki has interacted with and all of them is the case of him being this hyperactive chihuahua trailing behind someone who has their eyes rolled all the way back into their head. <laughs> pretty much, it's it's a very heavily established uh, it's a very heavily established dynamic at this point that I want to say started with the Dark World of just having multiple sequences of somebody else who has been forced to work with him for one reason or another walking along looking like they hate their life while he trails along about 12 feet behind them excitedly arm pumping as he walks talking too much until they tell him to shut up this has already happened with his brother a couple of times in the mcu proper or like the main timeline i guess you could say it's happened with mobius and now it's coming from allegedly his own alternate (laughs) self or even loki thinks loki needs to shut the fuck up on the other hand she's not really a loki at this point like as it's interesting as a point of contrast because one of my favorite book series growing up, um, I first read it when I was about twelve years old, is the Chronicles of Crestomancy by Diana Wynne Jones. The premise of it is that there are a total of twelve parallel universes, or at least um, that's what like the local series is, sort of the way that we have a solar system. But within the twelve parallel worlds, almost everybody has other selves in these other worlds and you could actually think of them in like in the series language as variants and unlike these they look identical to one another that's the big telling point and so the actual you know the centerpiece of this is that you do end up um in, you know, with various overlapping lifespans, sometimes you get people who are actually born with 12 lives and that functions pretty much like a video game. And those people are enchanters, which is an interesting word Mm -hmm. to come across for this. So the first book in the series, which it it doesn't happen chronologically, she did a prequel later, it's, it's called Charmed Life. The main character's name is Kat. His older sister, Gwendolyn, is a very talented young witch. Kat doesn't really seem to have anything going for him, and he's also, even though the book never uses the words, very strongly implied to be autistic. Gwendolyn takes a lot of advantage of this, and at one point, because she feels like she's not powerful enough in her own world, she initiates a chain reaction switch along the entire series. So Kat wakes up one morning and sees a girl who looks exactly like Gwendolyn, but seems to be very surprised by the whole thing, and is not a witch. And it turns out that her name is Janet. She's Gwendolyn's double from the next from the next parallel universe over. And it's gradually becomes very clear that even though Janet looks exactly like Gwendolyn, she has absolutely nothing in common with her. Gwendolyn is basically a tiny supervillain in training. Janet is fantastic. Cap immediately likes her, well not immediately, but he kind of guiltily comes to realize that he likes her so much more than his actual older sister. And the fact is is that even though Janet is ultimately content to be st- to stay in this other world, she's not Gwendolyn. She's not going to actually belong in this world. 
the 1990s in Crestomancy's world are still functionally the Victorian era, and that's pretty difficult for, for Janet to get used to. And so already having that in mind, I mean, that's also probably quite literally what launched my general love of stuff that explores other timelines and things. <laughs> but I felt a lot of that in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So it appears that in next episode, we will get, uh, I guess, political candidate Loki. And I'm just very curious to see if that's our Loki in disguise or if that's yet another uh, alternate timeline Loki. I'm kind of hoping and leaning towards the latter. Well, I think so, too, because if you if you look closely in the trailer, he appears to be backed up by a large group of Mongolians. Oh, yes. I who, was wondering about the costume design. Well, yeah, but as you might remember in the first episode, when he escapes with the Tesseract, the first place he lands is the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. And, you know, he, he lands among, a, a you know, just a family wandering by, and they're mostly just confused and trying to figure out what he's yelling at them because, you know, they live in the Gobi Desert. They don't speak English. They don't care who this guy is. They're just, why are you here? Yes, he can speak ancient Greek and Norwegian, but sadly not Mongolian. <laughs> going going to Pompeii and, and shouting perfect Latin <laughs> with, you know, and actually even remembering that Latin you, you kind of have to do an Italian accent while you while you speak Latin. You for, do. For, for it to sound correctly. But, you know, that's that's because, as my friend Gibson said, God punished the, the, the Roman Empire for their hubris by turning them into Italians. <laughs> he is Italian, so he has the right to say that. Don't, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Speaking of messengers, Sylvie very pointedly mentions that her... I, I guess boyfriend. Yeah, some type of lover. Yeah, is is a postman. So we're trying to figure out what that means. I've been trying to think of various things that that could mean in this context. And I've been trying to think of like how could it how could a postman be interpreted as future Loki? Because I feel like what she was talking about that couldn't have been a throwaway line. Oh, I just had the craziest goddamn idea, and I just had it literally right now. Do tell. <laughs> What's another word you could use for a postman? And like, like, like an old term. Messenger. Messenger. Carrier. Herald. Silver surfer. Oh. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> because you know what? What could possibly be the biggest gun they could pull out for this phase? Galactus. <laughs> And it's no secret that they've been mean to have a Fantastic Four in the Phase Four of the MCU, which we are now in. And again, the TVA originally started as Fantastic Four antagonists. Ah. But, and so did Kang. Which leads to the question, is this version of the Silver Surfer also going to be played by Doug Jones? Oh, interesting. That's an excellent point. But that was something that just occurred to me about the stakes being raised. Oh my god, I had another idea that is quick now. So if they've established that alternate timelines exist and it's very much headed towards Fantastic Four, what if we see an alternate timeline 
of Johnny Storm, played by Chris Evans. Oh my god. <laughs> because let it be known that Chris Evans said he'd officially retired from playing Steve Rogers. You, you, you have to see the hand gestures she's doing right now. It's, <laughs> it's, it, I honestly, I would not be surprised if little fireworks start coming out of her hands. <laughs> like, like the, the, the tipsiness is real, and so is, and so is the wild theorizing. But no, the, I, well, you know, I stopped and I, you know, I, the only other postman I could think of in a context that would work for this, unless they like inexplicably invented this, this character as a guy that you, that, you know, you could use as a love interest. The only other one that I could think of was, was Willie Lumpkin, because there was a weird point in the sixties where they just decided the Fantastic Four's regular mailman was going to be a character and also in a did so in a way that suggests that one can have a regular mailman who's part of the ensemble cast. In any case, in the earlier Fantastic Four movies, he was actually played by Stanley in his requisite cameo. Um, and now I'm just like, I don't know, is this is this just like a, a, an ongoing Stanley joke? I don't know. I but I'm kind of wondering about the Silver Surfer thing. Yeah. Because Postman seems like you could do that as a as a metaphor or a very evasive way of you know we don't have time to unpack all that okay this is going to be way way more of a stretch even more than yours oh my god but assuming that she's familiar with asgard and its culture what do they how do they send mail in asgard ravens I'm just trying to like work out all the theories and considering that the closest thing they have to postmen in Asgard are ravens and considering the role uh, that was played in the journey into mystery arc. Yeah, I mean, that that is, yeah, I mean, and to be honest, you know, the Fantastic Four connection isn't necessarily something that we can completely lean on here. I mean, I'm I'm trying really hard to figure this out, but... At the same time, I mean, you know, Ronan the Accuser started as a Fantastic Four antagonist, and, you know, and they've actually, you know, managed to use him as a protagonist a lot since then, and meanwhile, the MCU version was kind of wasted by being turned into a horrifying space terrorist who explodes in the first movie he appears in. And instead of, you know, getting to show us any of, uh, you know that phase where comics Ronan loved his wife and apologized to dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I, I miss, I miss giant horrifying space lawyer Ronan. We we really, we, we were really robbed folks. We, we needed, we needed, we needed a giant caps lock space lawyer. (laughs) Yes. So basically it sounds like they could have set up Ronan to be the, the MCU Harvey Birdman. You know, they really could have. You have to understand that there was an entire comic miniseries where he was, like, disgraced and he kind of went rogue, except he kept distributing, like, you know, giant caps lock space lawyer space justice. And that meant literally things like, you know, using the defense rests as, like, a CSI you know intro thing you know the defense hits somebody with a giant slab of concrete rests yeah Yeah. so uh this is pretty hard to miss if you have been studying the thor films for as long as we have folks but there is a scene uh where sylvie just lets all of her rage out and sits 
and the makers of this, considering that especially that Tom Hiddleston is again an executive producer on this, there is which no... means it really is Loki presents the Loki show starring Loki, Loki the Lokiest thing to have ever Loki, <laughs> or the greatest story ever Loki. <laughs> spitballing episode titles <laughs> <laughs> but Loki sits down by Sylvia after she's screamed a bit and the staging and his acting is framed exactly like it is in the first Thor film after he's literally flipped a table and Loki tries to like just talk to him and say did that feel better afterwards yeah it, it... <sighs> Yeah, and especially when, notably, she actually does suggest to him that maybe he should be more demonstrative with his anger, and he's just kind of like, okay. (laughs) Even though you can imagine that this is a point where he actually is feeling very angry and frustrated himself, that's, you know, he, you know, conceal, don't feel. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, no, it's... It is a really, and it might just be that, you know, she's functionally his sibling. Like, yeah. And and honestly, at this point, I do think that sibling is probably the best way to think of the situation because they are, again, made out very clearly to be two different people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the point where the whole variant thing is, you know, it's, it's pretty pointless when you think about it. And, you know, and if Sylvie's been on her on the run her entire life, that suggests that, you know, they came to eliminate her for something that probably happened to her as a child is is the thing. Like you know, you can talk about her, you know, them being being variants all that you want, but her especially, she's a she is a completely different person. She's a, and it's not just that she's a different person in the sense that she made different choices. I mean, for all we know, the trouble was in the beginning that you know, you know that she wasn't supposed to be a girl. Yeah, it could be as simple as that. You know, it. it you know, my mom miscarried before she had me. It was you know fairly incidentally, and you know she tried again. She successfully conceived me. Here I am. And the thing is, is that as a child, I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around that because it had happened before I was born. So I didn't think of it in terms of a little sibling that I didn't have. And the fact is, is that because of the timing, had that pregnancy carried through, she wouldn't have had me probably. But for the longest time as a child, I found myself thinking of that pregnancy as, oh, that was her first shot at me because that's how you think about things as a kid. I was the firstborn. I thought of that as being like a version of me that didn't happen. Yeah, it's weird that you say that because there was also a uh, supposed to be a child before me that my mom miscarried. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, and the thing is, is that, you know, it happened, you know, full disclosure, I, you know, I've had a couple of miscarriages that I didn't even know I was pregnant until I miscarried. Um, which don't worry about me, folks. I wasn't trying to get pregnant at the time, and honestly, I probably wouldn't have been able to keep either pregnancy anyway. And I was, you know, only like a year old or so. My mom got pregnant again, 
And, you know, and the result was my brother. Of course it wasn't another me, you know? <laughs> Which no, is, because children are just narcissistic like that. <laughs> yeah, no. It, and, but it's also funny because I, I even saw something once on Tumblr from somebody who had grown up as an only child. And they mentioned that they found the idea of having siblings to be so strange because they were like, so there's another you, but your parents' genes combined differently and it made a different person. And now they just like live with you. And I'm sitting there, you know, reading this as an adult. And this was long after I'd had any weird thoughts about, you know, thinking of that as an alternate version of me. I was sitting there thinking like, no, it's it, your parents literally just have multiple children. They're different yeah. people. And, and theoretically they can do it hundreds of times. I'm still not entirely willing to let go of the idea that there's more to her than just being, you know, a variant Loki, so to speak. But on the other hand, even if she is, everything about her has made her into being a different person to the point where even the things that they have in common are probably coming from different life experiences. And it's no more the same than... You know, if you happen to make a friend who turns out to have something in common with you, you know, regardless of whether, you know, it might very well be that she is technically a variant, but by the end of it, she's taken on the identity of the Enchantress. Mm -hmm. Like that is definitely a possibility. Oh yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't want to totally, you know, stake my claim in the idea that she was created. Although I still think that the, the name choice feels really telling because I kind of feel like if they were going to have her just take on Enchantress as her identity at the end, they probably would have named her Amora. Yes, that's what I was thinking. So what uh, what would you like to see in the future episodes going forward now that we're at the halfway mark? Well, apparently everything goes completely haywire for the remaining three episodes is what apparently Tom Hiddleston has promised us. <laughs> um, which does make me think that uh, that Loki for president is probably another timeline altogether. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really hope we see more timelines. But I mean, for one thing, it, it actually seems kind of difficult to imagine him at the point that we've already gotten him to in this being quite that smarmy and I might have Mm. to eat my words after (laughs) this but we've at this point like I said we we already seem to be I you know we already seem to be rapidly approaching peak Loki yeah yeah speaking of peak Loki I would love to see like all of the alternate timeline Lokis just like clamor over each other with our main 2012 timeline Loki at the top and the whole thing looks like Taylor Swift's look if you made me do video. You know, when she first described this to me, <laughs> I I was reading, she, she sent this to me in a text message. And as I was reading this, my mind immediately started finishing the sentence, oh, like that one scene in Blood Brothers. And then it got to the end of that sentence, and that's that's pretty much the dynamic. <laughs> you know the other, you know the other thing other than um, Crestomancy books and you know my own kind of morbid imaginings as a child that this made me think of is you know if you've seen the 
the third mini, like the mini series conclusion of Twin Peaks, you know, Dale Cooper actually ends up finding what, as far as we can tell, is an alternate version of Laura Palmer, who actually managed to like, you know, live to her late forties. And he brings her back to her house, to, to Laura Palmer's house in the very end. And it might just be David Lynch messing with us because that's what David Lynch likes to do. But, you know, the very end of the episode implies that, you know, she might have just had all of Laura Palmer's memories kind of forced into her and that he, in his attempt at saving her, might have actually just plunged her back into her alternate self's awful fucking life and possibly even, you know, eliminated her chance at actually you know they kind of imply that laura palmer in that series was also you know burdened with glorious purpose that she was actually Ah. kind of an an element of you know purity that was sent into the world and that despite everything that she went through you know you know they kind of go christ metaphor with her and it becomes even more apparent in the third season when it they actually show that she was kind of sent down like that and really while that is very relevant to the episode, I do think that that really kind of spells the difference between Maureen and I because I'm sitting here thinking of David Lynch movies <laughs> and, and she's thinking of Taylor Swift music videos. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. Oh, I'm sorry. The old Loki can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because he's dead. <laughs> Except now when you do that, it actually just it actually just sounds like, you know... Sylvie then immediately hanging up his phone and looking over her shoulder and he's just glaring at her like I was going to answer that (laughs) (laughs) well we have you know we have a lot to catch up on in the next uh, in the next episode and just as a heads up um, we might have to conclude at the very least our watch along series with a little bit of like a two hour spectacular or something because Maureen is going to be going really method with this, and she's actually going to be spending some time in Reykjavik, Iceland. Yes, I am such a diehard fangirl that I'm going all the way to the original place of Loki worship. <laughs> I mean, we don't know if he actually was or if he was kind of like the special guest star. But Yeah, but the point is there is an actual place in Reykjavik called Cafe Loki and you can bet your ass that I will take tons of photos and report from there at our very own Twitter page. <laughs> so with that in mind, we will, we will do our best to see if we can maybe coordinate with time zones, but also it, at the very least we might experience some schedule slip that week even if we are able to record because Maureen is the one that edits all of this and she's going to be in Iceland you know going around different time zone and scheduling well also you know I don't know if you're necessarily going to have enough time to sit down in a hotel room and and edit yeah true (laughs) so we will we will keep you guys posted on that and uh, we will certainly let you know on the Twitter page what's going on. And for that matter, I don't even know if you'll be able to watch it in Iceland. I'm sure I will, if anything, probably earlier than America. Oh, true. I I don't know how it works using streaming services. I mean, I know that there was that whole thing recently with, you know, you know, Brexit 
voters discovering to their absolute horror that now when they go to, you know, Mallorca, that it's like, oh, well, you know, because this is from outside of the EU now, it's it's not actually covered. You know, you can't watch this here. Sorry. Oh, my God. So we'll see how that works. Yep. So we will keep you posted on whether or not we will have to do a very special final episode but you know we've been talking about this and we are probably going to continue this series past the Loki series we might go bi-weekly after that Mm -hmm. um but there is a wealth of other material for us to cover various comic arcs um I've been pushing very hard to do an episode on Mackenzie Lee's YA novel Loki Where Mischief Lies which incidentally is the only a piece of officially sanctioned Marvel anything that actually, in addition to acknowledging Loki's bisexuality, actually goes so far as to give him a male love interest. Ah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a prequel, so, you know, no spoilers, but, you know, don't get your hopes up for him finding the love of his life, but that's... Uh, you know, that's actually been out there for, I want to say, a couple of years now. And I don't know if it's just because there's not a lot of um, overlapping audience at this point. But yeah, that's that's out there. And it is very, very upfront about it. Like, it, like there's absolutely nothing hushed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would also be talking about maybe some of the the major comic arcs, um, maybe a journey into mystery. Oh yeah, definitely journey into mystery and how that goes into Agent of Asgard. Not to mention all of uh, just all of uh, the appearances he's made in animated form on Disney Plus of all the Avengers uh, cartoon shows. Yeah, yeah. As well as I would, you know, honestly, I would love to do a general overview of whenever they decide to give him, you know a friend that lasts for the duration of an arc. You know, we've got Verity, Ooh, we've got Leah, yes. now, we have, now we have Mobius and Sylvie. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Because it seems like every so, you know, forget first gay character, meet Loki's first friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's about all the time we have for tonight's show. But please stick around for future episodes because we are still burdened with glorious podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night.